What's up? Welcome into the JC Gonzalez Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JC Gonzalez, and we got some big stuff on the show today. College basketball starting up the other night, and man, that was a game between Duke and Kentucky, yeah? Some big NFL storylines going on this week. And for the first time all season, there's a new number one team in my NFL Top 10 coming up midway through the show. Uh, we got a great game tonight on Thursday Night Football as two of my top 10 teams, which I'll get into, like I said, halfway through the show, will square off. And I can't wait. So let's just jump right in and get it started. In sports and in life, dysfunction is a loaded word. It's a word we always try to avoid. We, we try to stay away from dysfunctional friendships, dysfunctional relationships, and dysfunctional people. And when you're in one of those relationships, whenever somebody else calls a relationship dysfunctional, there's pushback. There's blowback to, a, to calling something dysfunctional that you're involved in, something that you like. And like it or not, the Dallas Cowboys are dysfunctional from top to bottom. And that's just a fact. Everyone's been crucifying Jason Garrett, including me on this show. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, how he's not the fit for the Cowboys, and I still think that's true. But one of the bigger issues here is Jerry Jones' leadership from the top of the organization trickling down into the head coach and the quarterback. Why do I think that? Jason Garrett is an extension of Jerry. He's his puppet. He's his friend. He would have been fired if Jerry's ego didn't want Jerry, not a big-name coach, to be center stage to the Cowboys' success. What do I mean by that? If the Cowboys win with Jason Garrett at the helm, people are going to say, they're going to credit Jerry Jones. He's the bigger personality of the two. If, let's say, the Cowboys go out and get a Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley revolutionizes the Cowboys' offense, and they look incredible, Lincoln Riley will get the credit for the Cowboys' success, not Jerry Jones, owner and GM of the team. Jerry is not willing to sacrifice his ego to not be center stage. Moreover, there's a huge issue within this team because Dak Prescott is not the guy. Listen to me on this. He has Zeke, Amari Cooper, a top 10 offensive line, an athletic defense with veteran leadership, Sean Lee, and is coming off a bye. At home, all the hype, Monday Night Football, first take is there, and he and the Cowboys look that bad against Tennessee at home? Granted, I'll give you the Jason Garrett out if you want to go that way. Jason Garrett is awful off a bye, whereas other coaches, even average coaches, are great. Mike McCarthy has a great record off a bye. Bill Belichick has a great record off a bye. Sean Payton, a great record off a bye. Jason Garrett is sub-500 off a bye. So if you want to take that out and not blame Dak Prescott, you can. But with all the weapons I just listed, you're really trying to convince me that a quarterback who runs better than he throws and is not convincing throwing the ball downfield, period, is the Cowboys' long-term answer? Because I don't think so. And Jerry immediately comes out after the game and says they're extending him. What? What? Excuse me? That's the dysfunction right there. Jerry clings to everything is fine when it's clearly not. He's the man, and they ask him, and he's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. But it's not. Uh, like an alcoholic, like a recovering alcoholic, Dallas has to admit they have a problem if they want to win again. They have to change from the top down. Everything must go in overhaul, as Troy Aikman said, which got a lot of people in Dallas riled up. When he used these loaded words, like I talk about dysfunction, he called the Cowboys dysfunctional. And he said they need an overhaul, and they do. They need both. From the top down, something must change in Dallas. Whether that means Jerry takes a step back, that's what some great owners do when they, since they've kind of lost things on the football side, they step back and let the front office guys be the front office guys. And they let the coach coach. 
I don't know if Jerry's willing to do that. And that could be a huge issue with the Cowboys moving forward. They have to admit they have a problem. And they haven't done that yet. Jerry has to take a step back. And after he does that, they need a new, smart, young, offensive-minded head coach. They need a Sean McVay model. And then, like it or not, they need a new quarterback. And since they traded their first this year for Amari Cooper in that deal, uh, they got to look to Tua in 2020, honestly. And he has the vibes of Russell Wilson. But the first thing that has to come before any of that, before they can look to the quarterback of the future, before they can look to finding the young offensive guy that will right the ship for Dallas, it needs to be said. Somebody within the Cowboys organization has to come out and say, there is a problem here. It's not okay. This is the biggest sports franchise in the world. Forbes lists the Dallas Cowboys as the most sport, uh, valuable sports franchise in the entire world. Right there with Real Madrid, Manchester United, FC Barcelona. Dallas Cowboys are the biggest brand in American sports. They're the biggest brand in global sports. And they will never win like what made them America's team if they don't admit they're dysfunctional. Say it with me. The Cowboys are dysfunctional. And that can be tough to hear for Cowboys fans because when you hear dysfunctional in an NFL context, you think Cleveland Browns, Jacksonville Jaguars, Buffalo Bills. We're not that. We're not that. We're the Cowboys. Truth is, man, the Cowboys are dysfunctional. Whether or not they like to admit it. That's my opening take. Let me switch gears to this. Uh, college basketball started the other night, and Duke looked unstoppable. They absolutely wasted number two Kentucky by 34 points. Uh, I'm going to give you a hot take right here, and it's not really my thing to just come out and say, you know, make a, a broad statement after one regular season basketball game, but I test is telling me this, and so I'm going to say it. And that's just that Duke is the best one-and-done era team in NCAA history. We've never seen a collection of freshman talent like this before. In all my years watching following college basketball, I've never seen a team quite like Duke. Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. Not to mention they got a solid point guard, Trey Jones, too. Tyus Jones' brother. Um, but yeah, here's my main point with this Duke team. All the talk after this Kentucky game has been about Zion. And I'll give you, he's massive. He's been famous since high school because of YouTube dunk videos. And he absolutely lit it up the other night against Kentucky. And Steve Kerr comes out and he says he's the next LeBron. And now the Zion hype train begins to roll. And now, before you know it, if he keeps playing like this, end of the season, they'll be talking about him or RJ for number one. Here's what we're forgetting when we talk about the Zion Williamson hype. RJ Barrett is still their best player. Zion's great. Don't get me wrong. But he has uh, this fear with regards to an NBA uh, team taking him number one. He can't get any bigger and still maintain the athleticism with uh, potential weight issues in the NBA. He is so big-framed, and he's only 6'5". He's not the biggest guy, okay? So there's concerns in NBA circles that if you take Zion and he puts on too much more weight, he'll drop the athleticism. That's what makes him great. And that's what kind of takes him. He's not quite LeBron to me. He doesn't have the height, and he won't have the athleticism if he keeps getting bigger. He could have issues in the NBA. So if you're the Hawks or the Cavs and you're drafting number one, in my opinion, you still got to take R.J. Barrett. And there's no question about that. He was silently the best player on the floor by far last night. I, I mean, there were times, there were moments where, like, 
it was so much about Zion when I was watching this game, and I was like, is no one talking about R.J. Barrett, the leading scorer? I mean, if you're the Hawks or the Cavs, dude, R.J. Barrett was silently the best player on the floor, but everyone gets caught up in Zion mania. So no one's talking about him. But, he, I mean, I think Zion is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I just don't think he's the next LeBron. I think we should pump the brakes a bit on that take. But R.J. Barrett could be really special in the NBA. And I think R.J. Barrett still merits your number one pick, even after an incredible performance from Zion Williamson, an incredible performance from the Duke Blue Devils, Mike Krzyzewski. This is the best college basketball team in the one-and-done era. I won't go as far back to, to before that, but based on talent alone, they have three consensus top ten picks in their lineup and two other solid players in uh, Marquez Bolden and you know Trey Jones, who I was talking about a minute ago. But watch out, NCAA. This key, this team could really change college hoops and especially college basketball recruiting if they live up to their potential. Uh, there's been a bit of a stigma in recent years that one and done teams don't really win national titles because a lot of the, the teams that have won, you know, the Villanovas, the North Carolinas, have had a lot of veteran presence on the team. But we could be talking about consensus recruits teaming up more often because this was a, a recruiting anomaly when Duke got all like three of the top five recruits to all come at once in one year. And you saw for the first time with the big three in Miami, LeBron changed the way free agency works. And college basketball recruiting is a bit like free agency. Guys can pick where they go. And you wonder if these top recruits might not start talking more because they see this Duke team and following the model, teaming up college basketball's talent becoming more centralized. You know, in the same way Golden State gets Kevin Durant, you know, guys start teaming up now because the precedent was set by the big three in LeBron. This Duke team could set the precedent for college basketball that they team up, do their one and done together, and get picked in the top five together. And that could make college basketball a hell of a lot more interesting come March. That could be really great to watch if, we, if we're really starting to see college basketball super teams. It might be less parity. That might be true. You might not see as many, you know, Two, 15 over two upsets in uh, in March. But hey, regular season college basketball, this could be the best thing that's ever happened to it. Now I'm going to segue into my uh, top 10 NFL teams. And for the first time this year, we have a new number one team. I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. And you probably know who it is. They just took down the old number one team. But before we talk about them, uh, let's get right into it. At number 10, I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears. They are still, you know, one of the elite defensive teams. They absolutely put a clinic on Nathan, poor Nathan Peterman and the Bills, man. And that was without Khalil Mack. But when they get his, you know, generational talent back, what a trade that has been for the Bears. I mean, he's right there in the MVP conversation. Uh, if it could ever really go to a defensive player, it should go to Khalil Mack this year. He's been excellent when healthy. Uh, missed a couple games. If he's back this week, Chicago's defense is one of the best in the NFL. Crazy to think about the turnaround under Matt Nagy. Um, and I was talking about a bit earlier about dysfunction with the Cowboys. One thing to be said is the Bears didn't make any structural changes when they when they got Matt Nagy and turned this thing around. Um, all they really did was change the coach. And the same thing with the Rams. That's what people forget. Les Snead was the GM when Jeff Fisher was the coach. So everyone who called the Rams dysfunctional, all they did was make one change, and that's the coach. Les Snead, now everyone thinks Les Snead's some great GM, but he was also the GM of a horribly dysfunctional organization two years ago. So keep that in mind when I when you talk about dysfunction with teams. But yeah, the Bears, number 10, 
Miss um, Trubisky under John Fox, Miss Trubisky under Matt Nagy, different player. Love it. Bears at 10. Number nine, I'm going to go with their in-division rival, the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and that's just because they're the better team on paper. I think they're a tie behind the Bears. Um, but yeah, I think Kirk Cousins is putting up spectacular numbers. And they got a, a good, a needed win against Detroit. They've still been beating all the teams they, they need to be beating. And it's kind of similar to my uh, my Chargers take earlier this year when the Chargers were losing to teams they should be losing to and beating the teams they should beat. Same thing with the Vikings. I mean, they've been losing to contenders. They had a really tough schedule. You know, having to go to having to go to L.A. on Thursday night football, uh, you know, on the short week, that's really hard to do and go play the Rams too. Um, so I think they're going to turn up in the second half or the yeah the second half of the year as we move forward. Minnesota starts at nine for now, but the top eight are pretty locked in. I mean, it's been a um, it's been a good season for Minnesota. I think. We could expect a tight NFC North race with the Bears, as I mentioned before. And who knows what Aaron Rodgers can do with Green Bay. Minnesota at 9. Let's get into number 8, the Houston Texans. They win a tight one against uh, Case Keenum and the Broncos. And that's probably the best the Broncos have looked all year, to be fair. Um, and that's why I'm kind of I'm letting that close win slide. On the road at Denver, that's a tough place to go. They did not run the balls effectively. That's a key point to note. Um Lamar Miller had two spectacular weeks the the weeks before. But this offensive line, and that just kind of masked this Houston offensive line, it could be crippling for them down the line. In terms of a playoff run, they're a great team. And they've been absolutely on fire. They won a lot of coin toss games is a factor as well. So they've won a lot of close games, and their offensive line isn't great. So that doesn't bode too well uh, for chances of them winning the AFC. But when you have Deshaun Watson... You have you know DeAndre Hopkins, one of the absolute best receivers in the game. J.J. Watt playing like J.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Uh, Jadavion Clowney playing well. A defense living up to its potential. That's what I love to see. And you add Demarius Thomas to replace Will Fuller, you get a different type, more possession guy instead of a you know a downfield threat. I like the Texans. I don't love them as much as I did in weeks prior because their offensive line has kind of gotten exposed. So I'm going to go Texans at eight. Number seven, we got tonight's game. Carolina heads on the road to the Steelers. I got the Panthers at seven, and I'll just tell you now, I got the Steelers at six, so they play tonight. Um, it's a big game for Carolina. Cam has been excellent. Uh, I don't know if I – I think Cam Newton was – this is the best I've seen him since the MVP year. I'll definitely say that. I love how Norv Turner has adapted around Cam Newton. Great coaches learn to re-scheme around what they have on the team, and I love how he's been able to do that working with a mobile quarterback, adapting his offense to fit it, and Cam is bought in 100%, and that's what I love to see from a quarterback. The Panthers actually could be dangerous in the NFC. They play in the tougher conference. If the Panthers were in the AFC, I would seriously consider them right there amongst Super Bowl favorites. In the NFC, I'm not as convinced, but I think this team definitely has an NFC championship-type potential in them especially with the way they've been playing. If they don't really have a good vertical threat is the thing. There are a lot of Greg Olson, Dink and Dunk, but North Turner is the highlight of the show for me. Ron Rivera, of course, is a stable defensive guy. But when you're an offensive coordinator under a defensive head coach, you got to be you know, a top guy. And, and honestly, uh, North Turner's really impressed me this year, as well as Cam Newton. Give him credit. Panthers at seven. And I just mentioned earlier, the Steelers go in at number six. Um, I don't know on Le'Veon Bell. He will be here in the next five days, or there is no Le'Veon Bell this year. I keep saying on the show, if he comes back, he's the freshest player in the NFL, and he's one of the best. I really don't know if he's going to come back, because it's recently emerged that he actually does not have to play this year in order 
to maintain his free agency status because he's already played four years in the league. And that was something that was initially misreported, and that completely changes everything. Because if his real goal is to stay healthy, and keep in mind, he's already left $8 million on the table. If that's really his goal, is to stay healthy, he has no purpose to show up. He was seen in the Pittsburgh area, and he did tweet goodbye to Miami. I honestly don't know. If he comes back, it'll be good. But James Conner's been arguably more productive than him. So does it really even make that much of an impact? What's he worth in the league? You know, a point over James Conner? If that, I don't even think he's worth a point, honestly, in terms of a Vegas spread. Um, yeah, I'll go Steelers at six. And let's get into the top five. My Super Bowl favorites, number five, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Philip Rivers is having an absolute career year. And Melvin Gordon is right there. If Todd Gurley's the best running back in L.A., I know there's going to only be one more, but Melvin Gordon is not a bad second. He has been incredible this year on a tear. There's an argument to be made that they're a more complete team than the Rams. I think they definitely have less holes defensively. Um, they add back Joey Bosa finally, and they are one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. And I picked them to win the AFC, and man, could they actually do it. They, uh, they have serious weapons on offense. They haven't lost. They've won, I think, five consecutive games now. Um, absolutely ridiculous from the Chargers, winning every game they should win. I can't wait till they get the Chiefs again. Uh, Chargers at five. Number four, it's the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs, their AFC West rivals. Uh, I still like the Chiefs a lot. Uh, I'm still concerned. I mean, the defense is the handicap. Just like I mentioned earlier, the handicap for the Texans is the offense. This Chiefs defense is not getting any better. And the welcome back Justin Houston, who they're easing back into, into action, and Eric Berry's getting eased back in. But at the end of the day, do those positions, are those guys going to really make a huge impact on how porous this Chiefs defense has been this year? And the answer to me is no. And you see certain defenses are trending upwards in terms of our top teams, and others are trending downwards. And that's just one of the reasons why I got the Chiefs at four. Uh, I'm still curious to see if this team can really win the Super Bowl with not much of a defense. Number three, or number four, the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming in at number three is the Los Angeles Rams, my previous number one team. And look, this team still has all the capabilities to be a number one team. I think they would have a better, much better chance at beating the Saints, either in L.A. or on a neutral site. But they lose a game to the Saints in which they show good fight to come back. But at the end of the day, a lot of their weaknesses were exposed. And I'm just going to lay that out there. This team does not have an exterior pass rush. Aaron Donald can only do so much from that defensive tackle position. They can't stop the run, and they can't stop the pass, honestly. The linebackers are not good enough to really make an impact in terms of stopping the run, and their secondary has gotten absolutely burned without a keep to leap. That's the Rams' last hope, honestly, of winning the Super Bowl. It all rests on a keep to leap. Can he come back and be good enough to where Marcus Peters doesn't have to be the guy? Because Marcus Peters is the only good corner on this team, if you can even say that, is getting this team burned week in, week out. He is repeatedly made bad decisions trying to make plays in the ball rather than just covering his man. And so the question is, is Aqib Tlaib's impact good enough to show us what this defense truly can be, or is it just a bunch of big-name guys? I'm not sure how I feel about Dante Fowler either. He's kind of like a Marcus Peters on the outside. I feel like he's going for the big hit as opposed to just filling the lane, making the tackle, stopping the run. Rams could have serious defensive issues. The offense is great. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Cooper Cup, Brandon Coach. We know about that. They got left tackle. They got the coach. It's just, again, is this defense capable of winning a Super Bowl? The Rams defense trending downwards, number three. Number two, the New England Patriots. 
Um, not much to say. They got quarterback. They got coach. They got Tom Brady. They got Bill Belichick. That's what it takes to win in this league. They win on Sunday Night Football because the bounces go their way. Because don't the bounces always go their way? Not because of luck, but because they make other teams beat themselves. They have, when they can get Gronk and Sony Michelle healthy, that's great. They can honestly win without them. That's the truth of the matter. They scheme around what guys can do, not what they can't do. And that's what makes New England so great. I talked earlier about Norv Turner scheming around what his guy can do. That's what Bill Belichick's made a career off of, and he's the greatest coach of our generation. The Pats are, once again, the class of the AFC and maybe even the Super Bowl favorites, honestly. New England at number two. And number one, your new number one NFL team for the first time all season, the New Orleans Saints. Yes, they have been absolutely fantastic. They beat the Rams, and it could have been worse. The They give up a comeback to the Rams, and you know I, I'm not as concerned about their defense as I was. They add Eli Apple to shore up their weakest area, which is the secondary, for sure. And he doesn't have to be a star. He just has to you know shore it up a little bit. Um, I'm convinced, honestly, that the Saints, this could be the year Drew Brees goes and gets another one because he only has that one ring. And that's a knock when you talk about him as one of the best of all time. At least, I mean, he's got the one. He's not Dan Marino. But at the same time, if you want to start, if he wants to escalate himself, this dude has more passing yards than anybody in NFL history. Like, I mean, he deserves to be talked about amongst at least the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I think another ring would go a long way to doing that. And with this offense, this might be the best team he's ever had. And he just added Des Bryant, which I'll get into in a minute. But for now, the Saints look unstoppable. They head to Cincinnati looking to avoid a bit of a trap game this weekend. Saints at number one. And that wraps up my top ten for the week. Um, yeah, a lot of turnover. A new number one team for the first time all year. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm confident in it. I'm happy with my top ten. And let's move right along. And so speaking of those number one overall Saints, I'm going to stick with New Orleans as I get into Des Bryant. So after seven long months standing in the unemployment line, Des Bryant has a new team, everyone. Now, uh, I'll be honest, Des is not what he used to be, and that's a fact. But here's the good news. That's okay. He doesn't have to be. In New Orleans, he is the third best pass catcher on an already elite schematic offense. They've got Michael Thomas, and they've got Alvin Kamara, who's a running back, but is also an elite pass-catching running back, one of the best in the NFL. Here's why I mentioned schematic offense and why that's such an important idea when you're talking about Dez to the, to the Saints. In Dallas, they asked him to beat doubles, be a number one wide receiver, and get open on isolation routes and not really get schemed open by Jason Garrett because he's not very good at scheming guys open. He won't have to do any of that on the Saints with Sean Payton. And he makes an already great attack even better. What do I mean by that? So if he works hard, he's going to get red zone looks and Drew Brees will find him. The doubles are going to be drawn by Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. Or when they split him out wide even, he's dangerous there too. So if he plays, if he buys into his role, this is going to work. Not because Dez is still a lead and somehow no one wanted him on their team for seven months, but because Sean Payton and Drew Brees are smart and cerebral and they, they see the potential to put him into a role that they don't have on their team yet. The Saints don't have a Des Bryant as their third best pass catcher, arguably second best receiver. If he buys into this role, he could still thrive in this league. He doesn't have to be the star. He doesn't have to be the one, the go-to guy anymore. And that's the only way we've ever seen Des is as the Cowboys' best receiver. 
if he buys in, you can think of Dez, compare Dez to like a Steve Smith, a Larry Fitzgerald, or an Anquan Bolden. These veteran guys who reinvented themselves, not as their team's best receiver, maybe in Larry's case, just because they didn't put much around him. But for the other guys, they reworked their careers to play a good role on teams that could scheme them open, get them touches. And I think if Dez buys in, he could be just like that. Don't compare him like you used to, to A.B., Julio, DeAndre Hopkins, or Odell, or even uh, Michael Thomas's teammate, who's an elite wide receiver, and that's great for Dez. If Dez is willing to not be the show, he will work in New Orleans because Michael Thomas will take the pressure and the doubles off of Dez, and he can just go get his touches, go get his catches. He's not going to go catch 10 balls a game. That's not what I'm saying. He's not going to go carry the Saints offense at any point this season, probably in any game this season. He'll never be thought of as you know better than Michael Thomas, but he's in addition that if if Sean Payton can sell him on his new role, he'll be able to he'll be open more, and I guarantee you that he will be open more. And the rest is up to Dez. How hard will he work? What shape is he in? Can he still play? We'll find out. Dez Bryant is a New Orleans Saint, and that's pretty exciting. Looking bigger picture on the whole the Dez front, one thing you got to really think about is. Could he be playing for a next contract in the NFL? When these guys kind of revive their careers, so to speak, on a team. So Dez has a lot to play for here, right? He was out of work for seven months before a great coach and a great team took a chance on him because they saw Tom Brady and and Bill Belichick do it first with Josh Gordon, who's been a success. Now, if Dez is a success, he will get another contract. And I guarantee you that. Maybe it's not with the Saints. Maybe it's with somebody else. But if he slots into this new role, which we've never seen him in before, so the floor is wide open. It's all up to Des Bryant. If he's willing to put down his ego and really go show that he still has something left in the tank for these teams, it could be really good for Des Bryant, for his brand, for his money. No more tweeting about how you should be in the NFL. You're playing to show why you should be in the NFL. And if he can be, like, let's say a team like, I don't know, next year, he gets paid to go be a two in a schematic offense. I'm just going to say the Rams. They don't need him. But I'll just say the Rams. He would be, it, it's the same kind of role, right? You have a coach who can make design plays that get you separation from receivers. You don't have to go do it yourself like you did in Dallas. And if Dez can, you know, show other teams he can succeed in this role with Sean Payton in New Orleans, you know other coaches are going to be willing to pay him up, you know, give him a little bit more next year to show, you know, be a part of their offense. He's still only 30. He's not that old yet. In the grand scheme of things, it feels like he's been in this league for forever. And there was a time where he was right there as one of the best in the league. That's gone. His ability to beat guys one-on-one is gone. We've known that for a couple of years. And that's why he went unsigned. And I think his, you know, social media also played a part in him going unsigned. His appearance on Hard Knocks was not great either. But hey, the truth of the matter is Josh Gordon helped him get a contract. Because if Josh Gordon hadn't worked, I'm not sure Des Bryant is employed. But Josh Gordon has worked because Josh Gordon has put his ego below the team and he's shown that he can still work. Josh Gordon has a bit more, uh, I don't know, explosiveness than Dez. But I think if Dez can, you know, succeed in the Josh Gordon role with an elite coach and elite quarterback and other talent around him, that's an advantage he has. Josh Gordon might be, you know, New England's best, you know, pass catcher outside of Gronk, who's inconsistently healthy or not healthy. So if Dez can thrive in a lesser role even than Josh Gordon, who, you know, paved the way, we could really talk be talking about Dez, you know, having a role in the NFL moving forward. He can maybe even get a Super Bowl this year. Who knows? He's on the number one team in the league. Let's see how it goes. Dez Bryant is a New Orleans Saint, and that's my take. 
So now I'm going to skip uh, skip over to red zone. Now I went three and two last week, um, and I picked some upsets. So I think I did pretty well in the grand scheme of things. I called the Saints beating my Rams. Um, yeah, this week's games maybe not quite to the level of you know Rodgers versus Brady goat duels in uh, on Sunday night football. But we do have a big game on Sunday night football. Don't get me wrong about that. Um, team I talked about on the show today, Dallas Cowboys, need to show out or prove me right again. And I think they'll prove me right. So I'll just say that right there. But, <laughs> but let's jump right into it with a game tonight. The Steelers taking on the Carolina Panthers in um, in Pittsburgh on Thursday night football. And I think this will be a good game between the number six, number seven team. But I'll take the Steelers in um, at home 24 to 20. I think James Conner is going to show what he can really do on a, on a primetime game. Um, he's been excellent, honestly. The production levels have been right there with Le'Veon Bell. And they have, the, I mean, this offense is so disposed for a running back to succeed behind a good offensive line, great perimeter weapons, and a quarterback like Ben. Uh, and the and Carolina's got a good defense, you know, especially at the linebacker department. But, and, you know, Ron Rivera coaching that defense. But give me Pittsburgh. I'm going to go 24 to 20. Pretty close game, but I got the Steelers winning at home and further cementing themselves as the favorites in the AFC North. Second game of the weekend, I have the Bears defeating the Lions 28-23. Pretty good game, but the Lions defense I have questions about and their offense I have more questions about after playing Minnesota's defense not that well last week. And now they got to go play the Bears who have a better defense, statistically maybe the best in the NFL. It's the number one fantasy defense in the NFL, in case you're wondering. Um, I don't talk much about fantasy football on the show, but the Bears do have the number one fantasy defense in the NFL. And that's a tough task for any team, especially if Khalil Mack does play. We'll see. I'm not sure. But I got the Bears winning. They got the better coach. Um, They have a better overall roster, and the defense is special. 28-23, Bears win. Third game of the week, trip-up game for the Saints. So I think it's closer than people expect, but still give me New Orleans 35-31. I don't think Des Bryant does much yet. Uh, we just talked about him a couple minutes ago. But um, I mean, maybe he makes an impact in this game. Maybe he makes a catch or two. It's how quickly he can really pick up the playbook with Sean Payton. Like I said, it's something he hasn't really ever experienced before. But the Saints come off a big, you know, emotional win at home. And now they got to go on the road to Cincinnati. It's a trip-up game. I was tempted to pick the Bengals. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'll stick to conventional wisdom and I'll pick the Saints, but closer than most would expect. I'll go 35-31. Saints win. And I'm going to switch over to the loser in that game last weekend. I'm going to talk about my uh, my Los Angeles Rams. I think they rebound and beat the Seahawks. They're coming home off a what should be a galvanizing loss, and they beat the Seahawks 27-21. And, and that's just down to, I think this offense will get it right, and they're not playing the Saints with their defense. They have another week to get healthier, improve, fix what happens, a concern, though, is Wade Phillips' defenses in the past have a tr- uh, like a tendency where they kind of get worse throughout the season because teams get film and they kind of figure them out. As we go through the year, they know what works against a Wade Phillips defense, and that's a concern. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. This is a tough game for the Rams coming off of you know a really tough game, and this is just a, a really hard patch in their schedule in general. So it wouldn't shock me if the Rams dropped a second straight, but I think they'll get it right. I think Sean McVay... Um, We'll get things corrected. I think the Rams win 27-21. And my last game of the week, Sunday night football. The Philadelphia Eagles against the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, in the biggest game of the week on NBC. Everyone will be watching as the defending Super Bowl champions play the Cowboys. And honestly, 
I hate to break it to you. I don't think this is close. Really, I don't. I think the Eagles will beat the Cowboys 42-20 to in a showing that we'll see Jason Garrett fired. Maybe not right now, but it will seal it at the end of the season, I think, that they'll move on from Garrett and they'll test Dak for a year with somebody else, I think. I mean, I honestly don't really know. I talked about the dysfunction in Jerry earlier, and I think the Eagles will begin to get things on track and eventually will take control of their division from Washington and will win the, the NFC East. But give me the Eagles 42-20. to 20. They beat the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football, and that wraps up your football week. And speaking of wrapping up, that wraps up the show. Thank you so much for listening to the J.C. Gonzalez Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JC Gonzalez. Have a good day.